And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. We are explorers. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Base, the final frontier. Make it so. Do it. Hit it. Let's fly. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Big Spot. And we're very excited to be rounding out the original series films today with our discussion of the sixth film, The Undiscovered Country. The Undiscovered Country. I erroneously labeled it The Voyage Home yesterday. Because I feel like we're going, <laughs> not yesterday, last episode. Because yeah. I feel like we're, we're in the home stretch. We're like, we're going home. It's The Voyage no. Home. Yeah. It was yeah. misnomered. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, I mean, it's it's a it's a fitting end to the original series mm-hmm. cast, um, but it's not. Finish that thought. What is it not? A fun romp. It's not the voyage home in the sense of being like no. a nice, pleasant cast off of these characters. They're no. sent into some turmoil. They are. They are yes. put through the ringer. But it is a nice way to pass the baton to literally the next generation. Yeah. Um. This is 1991. Yep. So next generation had already been on for five seasons. No, this they would have been heading into their fourth season. No, they started in 1987. Four years from that, oh right, would have completed. No, wait. So this was in the when was season. when was Best of Both Worlds? It was 1990. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, yeah. so it would have been heading into their fifth season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So either yeah. way, yeah. they're they're and and there are some nice things that that are alluded to. I think the whole thing with the Klingons being like that, like. The end of hostilities between mm-hmm. the Klingon Empire and the Federation, which leads nicely into Worf having yeah, yeah. a position well, we, on the bridge. We, yeah, and what we'd already seen a, a, quite a bit of, actually, in, in The Next Generation. You know, they yeah. kind of really expanded on the Klingons as but the, this stalwart is, this allies. Is like but this is like the prequel to yeah, that, which exactly. is really cool because like it's the original series, but... It slots in so nicely. Like it does yeah. it does really feel like a nice continuation and, and it rounds out the 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 lore, I guess, or the the history of this fictional world that we we love so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so we'll we'll start actually no, before we go anywhere, Lindsay, mm. uh I think we should get the thirty second synopsis out of the <laughs> okay, play. Yeah, just right. because you know it's my turn, mm-hmm. first of all, to do it. And you know that's not going to go very well. Cut to first scene. <laughs> Black screen. <laughs> and 20 seconds have passed. And there we are. But yes, uh, I, I think I have I did some game planning for this in my head. Is that cheating? I don't know. It's the only way I can possibly fucking do okay. it. So I have to go that's for fair. it. Um, 30 seconds. I will do my best. Okay. Uh, I promise little. <sighs> don't worry. We don't expect much. Yeah. <laughs> Lowering expectations even more. All right. Uh, you, you tell me when. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Go. So the Klingons are finally going to sue for peace because uh, they had a planet explode on them. Uh, they send, the Federation sends Kirk to uh, finalize negotiations with the Chancellor. Uh, but when they meet, the Chancellor's assassinated right by seemingly the, the Federation. Uh, so they arrest, the Klingons arrest Kirk uh, and send him to a, a prison planet. Meanwhile, Spock is trying to figure out how this happened. Uh, he discovers a huge conspiracy involving both the Federation and Klingons. Uh, they rescue Kirk, fight the, fight the conspirators, and uh, win and uh, save the president at the end of the movie. Wow, hey, not bad. Hey, that's not bad. I actually I was did expecting that one. a hilarity ensues, but um, there, there wasn't there wasn't really much. a lot of I hilarity. mean, I do find it Mr. President, Mr. President. I you can just tell William Shatner really wanted to just save the, the president. president? <laughs> really really bad and it and he got to yell that line a bunch. Yeah. So, um yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, was that fair? Yeah, no, that was pretty good. Okay. I mean, you missed that McCoy is also um, yeah, well, with Kirk, and okay. uh, and it wasn't a planet that was exploded; it was a moon. But whatever, Praxis, yes, whatever. You know, I, I'm not going to nitpick. You did good. You, yeah, you for me, I'm that very was amazing. Impressed. Thank you, 
Thank you. I You're welcome. Um, now let's talk about the production history Please. leading up to this film. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Final Frontier fifth movie obviously was a bit of a uh, not great showing for the franchise, critically and commercially. I think it it did make back its budget, but I mean between marketing and everything else, it was not a not a big money maker for no. Paramount. So uh, they had very they wanted to do another movie, mm-hmm. um, and their initial thinking, uh, especially Harv Bennett, he was still producing at this point. Uh, he really wanted to do the prequel idea. Yeah, which they we talk talked about, about this in the last episode. Yeah, yeah it comes up frequently. Um, and just as an aside, that is kind of the movie we get in two thousand nine. Like the, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. the reboot is kind of that story a little that they bit. wanted to tell. Yeah, it's um, it's a prequel. It doesn't go back to like the first years of them in the Academy. But, but, it, it, does but it does with Kirk because he's bit, he's yeah. late coming out. And, and yeah. yeah, so they, they they found a way to tie that story yeah. up eventually. But anyways, yeah. uh, they, they I think they even wrote a script for this one um, and nobody liked it. Roddenberry right. hated it. The cast, obviously, because they were going to be completely recast. I think the, there was... The prequel one you're saying. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The Academy idea for this movie was completely lambasted yeah basted lambasted and uh yeah so instead they uh they eventually went down this this path of of going down the parallel of the modern day cold war which was ending in mm-hmm. 1990 1991 fall uh, of the soviet union yeah berlin wall had come curtain. down yeah, the, yeah everything was everything was falling apart the old yeah. enmities were disappearing so they decided let's go for uh, this what was what happens if the if the Berlin Wall Berlin Wall fell in space right and, right uh, yeah so that's the kind of direction that we wound up going cool um, the creative team the return of Nicholas Meyer you know, when we watched this the other day I was like Nicholas Meyer who who's that I know that name and you're like he directed Wrath of Khan and I was like and he wrote Voyage oh Home oh my god yeah I'm just <laughs> like where is my head at I well, don't know and who's the the uh, romantic comedy. Uh, director who did the holiday Nancy Meyer oh is that her name I don't know that does sound familiar yeah like when you say Nicholas Meyer I'm like the notebook yes but but that's not at all like in any way shape or form no his actual contribution but I think his name just it jives with many other Hollywood names gotcha um yeah, so he he directed this film. Yep. Uh, also got a co-writing credit with Denny Martin Flynn. Um, and Nimoy, Lawrence Connor, and Mark Rosenthal received story credits. So, okay. So that was kind of the core creative team. Um, and yeah, it was apparently it was Nimoy's original idea to uh, tackle this kind of end of Cold War uh, thing. Interesting. Um, and again, yeah, like like you mentioned that the, off the bat, Lindsay, I have it in my notes. I'm just mentioning it now. But it was, you know, it's interesting that they they kind of approach this now and they they felt the that this wasn't an obvious path like when i watched the movies not knowing anything about the thing i was like oh yeah of course they needed to wrap up what happened with the bad the bad guys and the klingons because mm-hmm. we know in next generation they're the good guys right um but that was not immediately apparent apparently to the creative producer. it just kind of just happened to, organically, yeah organically they just kind of gradually fell towards the story oh okay um, but i think it really makes makes sense um, and Meyer, uh, in particular is credited with making a lot of like the overt connections like, uh, Gorkon and Gorbachev mm. are supposed to be, you know, the great detente guys, uh, Praxis as the main energy source, uh, is supposed to be like in a Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah. Something like that. So, 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 so you've mentioned this and you have in your notes quite a few times that this is a very <laughs> obvious thing. And until I read your notes, I had not put that <laughs> together. And in my defense... In my defense, uh, six-year-old me was not up on the geopolitics. And and here's... Are you going to tell your map story? I'm going to tell my map story. Okay, hit, hit us with it, Lindsay. Um, I, little Lindsay had two sets of pictures on her walls. One of them was a collection of ballerina portraits. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a ballerina. And the other was a giant world map. And the map had the USSR on it. Mm-hmm. Because it was made in 1985 or something. Um, When the Berlin Wall fell and the collapse of the USSR happened, I went into my room and stared at my map expecting it to change. (laughs) Like before my eyes. And I remember thinking this isn't right. The map isn't changing. We've got to get you on these paradox games. You can change the map (laughs) however you want in real time. Okay, But I'm just saying, saying, like the first time I saw... like. This film, yeah. it clearly did not impress upon... Well, and I've seen it how many times now? Probably this probably is the third, third or fourth time. Third time, probably, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I did not put that together. So um, all the English degree-having 
in the world clearly <laughs> couldn't save you. From couldn't save me the, from the the apparently the quite obvious <laughs> analogy being presented here. Uh, I feel quite embarrassed. It's fine. I'm it, admitting it to all five well, of our listeners. <laughs> well, and it feels odd to talk about it now because the Cold War was such a unique war. Um, and so the, the idea that it was, it was always there in Star Trek, uh, right. makes sense when you think about it rationally, but for you and I, who really didn't grow up in the cold war right. era, it's easy to see this as just another, as any sort of conflict, but yeah. they really did lean heavily into the whole well, cold and, war and, and feel. Star Trek began with the cold war on its mind, like with the idea that the space race, yeah. the space race. And you'd yeah. had, um, like a post cold war ish situation where you have like a, a Russian Chekhov is on the bridge and that yeah. in the sixties would have been unthinkable. Wow, yeah. and, um, so it, it does again, it, I guess that doesn't kind of tie up the original series very nicely, that mm-hmm. it's, it started with this cold war. Yeah mentality or or ethos underpinning it and it ends with the end of that yeah so which it, is cool yeah, it's a fitting end mm-hmm. for sure absolutely Definitely. um i just didn't put it together until now no that's fair um just one <laughs> last uh uh note on the script itself apparently there was there's going to be like a, a getting the gang back together kind of avengers style building the uh, how back would up. that have worked I, I don't know apparently there was all the crew members were going to be doing various things like McCoy was going to be at some, I don't know, field hospital getting drunk and uh, Uhura was doing like a call-in radio show or something like that. Did you make like this up? No. Th- well, this was just on Wikipedia, so I, I didn't look at all the sources, but apparently this was, this was they were fighting for this until like the last version of the really? script. Really? Um, and like Sulu was going to be doing like a taxi cab or something because he loved driving what? so much. And then, yeah, and then he wound up being the captain of the Excelsior instead, which I think is great. We'll get to that later on. But anyways, yeah, yeah. that's so weird. Yeah, and Why would you do that? I have no idea. But it kind of makes sense when they because they do just all of a sudden show up in that boardroom and they're suddenly talking about this like, oh, what's going on? Like, I haven't seen you guys. Not not that I haven't seen you guys, but it's like, I, what's it? They, you don't get the sense that they're really a cohesive crew. And, and they don't explain how they have like four captains on this fucking ship at this yeah. point. You know, all the characters have been promoted to. Yeah, high, that is true. Water, right. So like, that's true. It doesn't really make sense. They just kind of gloss over that in in uh, the early part. of the I movie, mean, they but, do say that they're about to be decommissioned or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, is that what you call it when you're as a person? You're retiring? Yeah. Yeah. They don't call well, they're, it decommissioning. They're, they're decommissioning the ship. Yes. And you can give up your commission. Sure. So, yeah. But I don't think that's what they're doing. I think they're being retired. But they've been talking about that a lot. Like, Kirk was <laughs> going to be retiring, and then he net doesn't. Wrath of Khan called. They've been yeah. old ever since then. Yeah, it's been 15 years. <laughs> like... <laughs> Sure. Uh, so the budget for this film uh, was a major point of contention, obviously, because they didn't want to splurge a lot uh, on after the Why poor not? showing of the the Final Frontier. But you know, you've got another Golden Goose in the Next Generation already. Why wouldn't you put money into the original series? Film? That's not how that's not how studios make money, Lindsay. They don't well, they don't they don't make money by spending money. They make well, money by hoarding money. That's um, <laughs> very <stupid>. true. <laughs> uh, the budget eventually came out to about thirty million. Yeah. Uh, and the, actually, the main cast agreed to take pay cuts uh, in, in turn for uh, back-end royalties. That's which interesting. Is, yeah, which is, you know, they all agreed to it. So, I mean, it made sense. And they could mm-hmm. afford some of the special effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the fin- like the, at the end when they all got to do their little signatures. Yeah, yeah, that cost that's a how, lot of money. That's how they afforded it. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> um, Casting-wise. Oh, I love this. Uh, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer. How LA Captain Von Trapp <laughs> himself, yes. Um, he just yeah. plays such a delightful villain, yeah. and I love the way. So, the Klingons having been established in the films, like with um, Search for Spock, Search for Spock, and and Wrath of Khan, and uh, a little bit, no, no, Search for Search Spock, Spock really, and, and, and yeah. Um, and then with the next generation coming in, you get you know the. The Japanese samurai thing yeah, really is, more, yeah. but yeah. Christopher Plummer looks the part for that. Like they, he doesn't have the big hair. He's got like the tiny little, yeah, the little uh, ponytail or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, taped to the, the back of his head. The um, eye patch that's like it's drilled, into drilled his into his skull. skull. Yeah. Like he's just he's battle hardened, but in a in a way, his his persona and the Shakespeare that comes into this, yeah. Um, it's, it makes him so much scarier Mm -hmm. because he's clearly been through some shit and he's still like quoting Hamlet, you know? And it's just 
like he's he's terrifying but yeah. really engaging and it's Christopher Plummer so yeah I mean yeah he brings all his Shakespearean hamminess slash real thick drama yeah cred to it yeah um and as Canadians you know uh you know he's he's obviously a, a big uh figure on our on our theater and and uh, yeah he's one of scene. five no there's more theater actors and <laughs> there's quite Canada. a few uh but he's you a know, big he's a big influence though a big influence especially in the shakespeare scene and uh, and he and william shatner go way back yeah they had a famous rivalry at the stratford festival i believe it was yep where was shatner understudy for shatner Plummer? was understudy i think he he wound up taking over the role or something like I that. Don't I don't remember exactly works, what the story was, but yeah, uh, it's it. They go way back. They They're not back. like antagonistic towards each other. No, but but, it's, but it's professional like a, rivalry for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, it shows up on screen perfectly because they they do play off each yeah. other really well because Plummer's really being dramatic and and reaching for it and Chandler's. Uh, like I think he even said and we watched one of those little snippets on the Blu-ray behind the scenes thing where Shatner was like his grandstanding made my grandstanding seem normal by comparison (laughs) and and it does it it kind of works that way because finally you have Shatner being brought down a peg and and it it works for him and the character by yeah 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 plumber um can can we talk about Shakespeare for for just a moment I know we've talked about Shakespeare for yeah, yeah, it was eighty-four it was, episodes or something. That's true. Yeah. yeah, but to bring it to to Star Trek, it felt like a very natural thing to go from Shakespeare to Star Trek, and it mostly centers around this film. Mm-hmm. And then, like, obviously, Patrick Stewart being a Royal Shakespeare Company actor, going way back. So there's that link as well. But I mean, this film, the Undiscovered Country, quote from Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare and the original Klingon. Right there in the, yeah. um, all the lines that Christopher Plummer delivers from Shakespeare in this film. Um, was that always there? Because I don't feel like there's there's been a ton of other references to Shakespeare, but it feels so natural. Like, I watched this film and I started thinking, there's got to be more that we just missed or we haven't talked about because we glossed over it. Were, Why does this feel like it fits so well? Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's a. I mean, the '60s. They especially a lot of the actors in Star Trek start off as stage actors. A mm-hmm. lot of them, you know, still have and credit. Everybody stage does actors. Shakespeare when they exactly use stage. and like yeah, like leaning on someone like Stewart, uh, James Earl Jones. You know, he was called. He was going to be Captain Picard at one point. You know, they were considering casting all these guys who often do have stage Shakespearean mm-hmm. experience, and mm-hmm. it's just a natural kind of. Uh, vibe to to bring to the roles and to the show but the the writing also does do it occasionally there's that one quote i think we interspersed it on the the podcast occasionally mm. of uh quoting yeah but that one, was kind of jokey yeah where... yeah i know but and it's same with uh you know picard does it in the next generation yeah. when, he, when he quotes the 14th sonnet or whatever the shall i compare thee to a summer's day yeah. uh one is you know it is just something that that writers and actors love to to harken back to and yeah. i feel that's why i feel like this at the core of this kind of transition period uh it makes sense to really you know lean back to the the origins of theater i guess in the english language and, and it's a, the it's it's kind of a big story it's a bit of a shakespearean story it's there's you know hubris involved and yeah. like that kind of stuff that you know thematically shakespeare would have played with um so it does seem to fit. It just it just seems strange, like it that Star Trek and Shakespeare, that sci-fi and Shakespeare have such um, a neat little. Yeah, they fit together. They jigsaw well, together very nicely. And I feel like it's it's no surprise that it's Meyer doing this. And I feel like it's also mm-hmm. no surprise that it's later next generation. And yeah. you know, you could see the same thing happening in DS Nine. Like you could see Cisco. Well, I mean, not Cisco. He's he's a little too. Uh, rough and and not rough but like he's a little too uh modern frontier, focused yeah. yeah he's yeah he's a little too frontier he's not as you know yeah uh to be sitting focused. there quoting shakespeare yeah yeah maybe maybe dax would do it or something like that but anyways uh you know these kind of the writers at this point had really kind of narrowed in on the idea of like this character driven yeah uh, sci-fi stories right? yeah yeah and it was really coming into play in next generation at this point and we'll talk sure. about that next episode obviously or how it's not in the early episodes yeah. but you know that that kind of storytelling by 1991 was kind of well underway mm-hmm. and well understood and meyer was really good at it and i think he did a really good job with it in uh wrath of khan and here and even his contributions to voyage home you know he he'd kind of really laid a lot of the groundwork i feel for for that kind of storytelling so mm-hmm. okay you know for him it's it's natural to ground it with 
a reference to something that the audience does know and understand. You can make that joke about the original. Yeah. Everybody yeah. gets it because you're like, no, we understand. Well, except for the guy who asked on uh, one of those internet forums, was Shakespeare's oh, yes. Klingon? I actually read that. I read that yeah. today as I was doing research for this. And I'm yeah. like, did somebody actually think that that was an appropriate question to ask? Why not? Why not? Lindsay, come on. Um, so there were some tangents we wanted to go off of this one. Yes. Notable Canadians. Yes. Kim Cattrall is also Cattrall. in this film. Yep. Um, she's Canadian. Yep. Uh, Shatner's Canadian. Yep. James Dewan's Canadian. Yep. Um, yep. She Vancouver. played Valeris. And she played Valeris yep. and Christopher Plummer, Canadian. Yep. Uh, lots of Canadian actors in, in Star Trek. There's a, there's this a movie lot. in particular. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I mean, throughout, I think the, the like Strange New Worlds is being filmed in Canada. Yeah. I think they've done a lot of stuff. Like Canada plays a role. Just, just patriotically, oh, Canada. We don't, Trek. we don't, yeah, we don't do that very often. The patriotism thing here no, in not Canada. Very often. Well, not on this podcast at least. And not anymore. Not after the freedom convoy. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I take it back. Yeah. I take it back. <laughs> um, and also another casting tangent, uh, Twin Peaks actors. We've, we've somehow forgot to do this. Yeah. You know, uh, Miguel the... Ferrer in yes. uh, Search for Spock. Yeah. He was a helmsman, I think on the Excelsior. Yeah. You know, we didn't mention that. I mean, no. there's, there's so many tie-ins and this is a really big one. Obviously David Warner, uh, who played Eckert. Yeah. In, Thomas Eckert. In uh, Twin Peaks. Mm, uh, plays Gorkhan here. Gorkhan here. Um, I and just passed away last yes, year. Recently. So, yep. uh, well, 2022. Last yes. year. It is last yeah, year. It is last year. Yeah, now. we're in 2023 yeah. now. Um, so yeah, there's... there's. Uh, we'll have to make a, a concerted effort going forward. Because I think yeah. once you get into Next Generation, there's like there's more much more, more of a crossover. Yes. I mean, they were um, filming at the same time yeah. and stuff. So yeah. yeah. So. yeah we'll, we'll, maybe each season we'll try and <laughs> capture the, the We have crossovers. to. It's where, our, it's where our podcast was birthed. Yeah. In the owl cave from the <laughs> darkness of future's past. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all... You wrote that? Yesterday, as a matter of fact. Lindsay, I'd like to take this chance to thank our sponsor for today's episode, the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. <laughs> sure, most of us were force-fed Shakespeare at school and forgot everything we were taught between Batleth class and advanced calisthenics. Those who painfully had to memorize Portia's speech and recited in front of all your peers risking dishonor if even a single syllable was mispronounced well those people may not have much more respect for the famed author but we know our listeners are cut from a different cloth <laughs> that's why we're proud to be sponsored by the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust located in the Bard's own home of Bardock Northern Hemisphere Konos you too can visit Old House where Shakespeare <laughs> slew his first saber bear. You can see the fields of Ban Tatui's cottage where the <laughs> author's two potential wives gloriously fought to the death for the right to the marry the great artist. You can even visit the ashes of his birthplace set aflame after a dispute about back-end back royalties. Oh my god. Seeing the place that inspired the man that inspired jealousy across the galaxy sheds new light on the famous phrase Ta-pah, Ta-pah and opens the imagination of even the most un unimaginative of Klingon warriors. <laughs> Make sure to use your pro our promo code BIX20 for 20% off your entrance to the site, as well as a half pint of blood wine free of charge when you arrive. And if you happen to see the spirit of the bard on the grounds, don't forget to tell him. It was the BIX who sent you there. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so perfect. Okay, does Portia really have a... Yeah, I, I literally translated the quality of mercy and just did that. You did? Yeah, just the opening Wow. Line. Yeah. yeah. Like, is it is it like Google Translate where it doesn't quite... Yeah, because like, I, 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 I translated just the opening phrase and then I did like the whole speech and it was a very different translation. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go for the... the that's um, hilarious, Aiden. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm, I'm so proud that the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust... Uh, entrusted us. Entrusted us. To carry their message. We are not sons and daughters of Kronos, <laughs> but we, uh, we carry the torch. Nonetheless. The needs of the many outweigh... The needs of the few. Or the one. So as we mentioned, uh, there was a big push to save money yep. uh, for this film. So there was a lot of reused 
everything. Uh, there's shots, individual shots, uh, sets, models. All the models were completely reused. There was no new stuff created. Yeah. So the, I think they like painted the battle cruiser mm-hmm. to make it look a little different when they were going to hit it with the, yeah. the photon torpedoes or something. Um, and in terms of sets, like they were, they reused a lot of the next generation enterprise. It just makes sense. It does. It's, it you're, is. You're 30 years almost into a, a, a series. You've got a lot of stuff. You can just pull out of storage, right? Yeah. yeah it makes a lot of sense. And, and, I mean, they allowed them to focus on spend money on yeah. other things, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which was like really like the signatures. Good. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so uh, Meyer, of course, famously though, doesn't like the shininess of it. So it's a much uh, darker yes. set. They they literally like brushed the the shiny Sandpaper. surfaces. Yeah, really? of, of all the the glassy or the the metallic things to give them a darkened look. Really, and then just cut off the lighting, like just <laughs> almost no lighting on this thing. Uh, and interesting. The, okay. uh, the the for instance the. Uh, the dinner scene was filmed on the uh, oh the observation yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's obvious tell. that that yeah. weird dinner table. Yeah, <laughs> like why would you ever have a dinner table shaped like, like that, that? Yeah, um, but yeah, why would so, you have any table shaped like that? Well, yeah, no, it's true. It's it's because the people sitting on like the inside of the the, the, the curve, curve can't yeah. see each other. Yeah, because they're facing out. That's just dumb. It's really silly. But anyways, uh, so the, yeah, they they he was going for a darker look. Mm-hmm. He, a mm-hmm. lot of the interior shots are again cramped. He, he yep. literally narrowed the the hallways in order to give it that submarine feel that he really liked from yeah. from Rathacon and reused here. Makes sense. Um, also noticeable, notable, no, noticeable, notable, uh, is the first kitchen ever seen in Star Trek. On and Star here's Trek another question that I had while we were watching that. Mm-hmm. I, it makes sense. It's a perfectly great. I actually really like that scene. Yeah. For the the comedy of it, I guess. Yeah. Why do they need kitchens? Yeah, yeah. That's the, a bunch of fans were like, "This is stupid." They've always just had the food processors and then replicators. It's not Voyager. You don't need to save energy at this point. So yeah. I don't know. It's I guess silly, it, it's just to. It's just an extra set that you'd have to build, but it it yeah I think adds that, to the it does. comedy well, of the scene. I well, guess. it adds to the to the realism grounded feel that he was going for. Sure, you know it okay. is it's a real place. People know what kitchens are. Okay, people don't know what a replimat is. So you can walk into the theater and watch, and they blow up a thing on the kitchen set. You're like I know what that is. But if it's they not, blow up a, a replicator, yeah. at the replimat, yeah, in the replimall, yeah, they don't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't hit quite the same. Okay, I, that's my. Okay, all right, that's fair. Um, yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, all the the models were reused. Um, they didn't have to like upgrade a few of them and and what have you because some of them had actually rusted because they hadn't been used since like the motion picture, for right, instance. Right, right. Um, and they, ILM comes back. Island does come back and they did all the special effects. There were far fewer shots that actually required it, but Mm -hmm. they, some of them were like really, really intense. Um, like Like the signatures. Um, you're really loving the signatures. (laughs) I really do. I do. I really do. The Praxis explosion waves. Oh yes. uh, Excelsior. Uh, the zero G thing. Yeah. The zero. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It is. Uh, the zero G fight. Yes. The purple blood or the pink, pinkish, pinkish purple purple blood. Um, Martia's. Uh, shape shifting, yeah, like that was that looks really good. Yeah, it does actually. Day. So yeah. I think they did it the old school way of like computer generating every single shifting frame. Okay, like kind of anamorph style. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That so, was a book that that was drawn on the cover of a book, though. Yeah, yeah, but that's the that style. You just it wasn't animated. In. It was. It was. Didn't a they have image. a TV show? I think they might have actually. Yeah, I think they. I never watched it. it. I was never an anamorphs fan. No, no, it was. I. No, no one had goosebumps. Yeah. 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 Come yeah. On. So. And the only other morph I was interested in was the Power Rangers. Of course, yeah. Because they're mighty, yeah. Did we talk about Zordon last episode? Yeah, we did. I think we did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, God needing a starship. Yeah, it was yeah. Zordon, yeah. Well, it wasn't Zordon. <laughs> like, he wasn't Zordon, but it, we we talked about Zordon. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I, I remember now. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Cliff Eidelman came in to do the score. And okay. Lindsay, what did you think of the music? I At the end of it, I was like... It was there. Yeah, it's not it's not super memorable. I know I did talk a lot about the music in in five mm-hmm. because I really like it because it's yeah and you Jerry Goldsmith grew up right it, yeah. and yes but it's also good music and and Jerry Goldsmith is like a, an iconic yeah not that Cliff Adelman isn't but I just don't recall like none of the music really really str- but I I think they. I, I read when I was doing a bit of research on it that they they did try to aim for a more subdued thing. They really didn't want to go for like uh, 
a high seas adventure yeah. kind of thing, which is, uh, you know, an option when mm-hmm. you do Star Trek. Instead, I, so I think they naturally went to, to a more toned down. Yeah, it's a political uh, thriller that we're dealing with. So it's yeah. not like you could, and I'm sure there is. If we went back and listened to, you know, the motifs and, and things, there would be, you know, elements of like Klingon battle uh, music yeah, that would yeah, fit yeah. the scenes where the Klingons are or whatever, right? Yeah. But it just doesn't seem like there's as much that's really memorable about it. Um, it was no, there. Yeah, the it, was, yeah was it was there, there and it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. It didn't distract from it at no, all. No, not and at all. Like there are moments when you're like, oh yeah, it's helping build the pace or whatever, but yeah. nothing crazy. Um, filming for the film itself took about six months. Uh, largely on sound stages, obviously a lot of them are interior shots. Mm-hmm. Um, the big outdoor one is obviously Ruapente, the the prison colony. Um, so the outdoor shots for those, that there were a few. Um, they were done in Alaska in yeah. the winter. Uh, temperatures got as low as minus 45-ish Celsius. Um, Which is about minus 45 Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit colder. It's like minus 40. Yeah. It's like almost minus 50, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it caused all sorts of problems because they were using like yeah, helicopters. Right. And... Uh, Human flesh <laughs> freezes quite quickly yes, at minus 45. Yes, and these actors were just wrapped in like these yeah. kind of like fake skins, fake fur skins, right? That, so, that guy that they threw out of the... He really died. <laughs> he really like, died, he just, yeah. <laughs> they had an insurance payout for that guy. Um, We're yeah, kidding. We are. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, <clears throat> shooting went pretty smoothly overall. There weren't uh, too many... Occasionally there were shifts needed, and I think uh, Meyer said something along the lines of, like, when, when you hit a snag, it was good because it forced you to, like, reconsider and redo things uh, a little more creatively and it, it kind of worked out for him sure um the one interesting thing about the shooting schedule from my perspective is the last scene was the last one shot that's not often the case is no, it they no. usually shoot out of there's very few films that you read about where that's a point where yeah you know you you aim for that not that this this probably wasn't filmed in sequence but no not not overall know, but, but the I, last but, film being shot last that's yeah yeah the last so, scene. that's yeah. cool yeah and uh apparently they did some last minute rewrites of the the script that day kind of thing okay uh to make it a little more optimistic and and you know having end on a happy note yeah yeah you know to lead into i think it was always going to be kirk giving that final speech about right know where no one has gone before yeah uh but you know giving a bit more positive spin to in to lead into that speech i think Mm -hmm. was was the change Mm -hmm. second start of the ride and straight on till morning so, film's released December 1991, yep. right around the 25th anniversary of uh, the original series beginning. Yep. So, fitting that it ended around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was generally pretty positively received. Mm-hmm. Um, they made back their budget and then some, I think, uh, $9,700 million or something like that. $9,700 million? No, no, no. $9,700 Somewhere around oh. a million dollars. Okay, okay. Not 9,700 million. That's a weird way of saying. <laughs> 97 billion. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so there's this uh, uh, home video market that has started cropping up, 1991. Yeah. That was when I got my first VCR. Yep. So not that I've had this on VHS, but. Yeah, I, I did. Did so, you? Well, later on, like my parents bought the first time I even remember getting a box set was for the original six Star Trek movies. Really? Yeah, I think it might have been released in like '95 or something like that. But it was that's uh, cool. Yeah, it was and they like each of the covers had a piece of the Enterprise. I'll, okay. I'll post a link to the to the picture of the. the Were there special we like behind the scenes? Yeah, things I, there or might have been like a brief documentary at the end of the movie, but I don't. I don't remember, remember how they how they did that. I remember DVDs being the first time that you'd have like behind the scenes featurettes yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, I don't I think know the that they did that on the VHS. Real, they might have done something. Okay, like, probably Interesting. not. You're right. You're right. That's cool. Yeah. So that was that was the film, and yeah, it did it did well, and it's uh, it ended the the cast the original cast. Yeah. With with few exceptions, there's you know McCoy and um, and Scotty come back in next gen. So does Spock. Kirk. Yeah, Spock does too. Kirk is there in uh, Generations. Generations. Sulu comes back in Voyager. Yeah, so and they do make Chekhov was in Generations as well. So yep, that's yeah, true. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and Scotty. Yeah, but Chekhov. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end. That's the end. Make it so, sir. Do it. What are your What are your thoughts generally about the film? Um, 
I like it. The plot. I, I like it. It's a I tight thought, film. It was, yes. I described it that <laughs> I described it to you that way when we watched yeah. it last time. I was like, it's just a nice tight film. Like there's very few uh sequences really like I, I listed them out there's the diplomacy at the start there's a dinner there's an assassination there's the trial there's the Ruapente slash assassination hunt or assassin hunting mm-hmm. uh, going on at the same time there's the escape from the penal colony there's the f- and like the lead into the final battle then there's the save the president right. scene and a final speech and that's that's yeah, it there's like, not a lot of fat to cut no like like there's it's a really really simple uh thriller that that works at the underlying premise it is it is a thriller i i remarked on that when we were watching it that again it doesn't feel like it's a sci-fi film it feels like an adventure story or a political thriller mm. or something which was very popular at the time 1991 you're in your jfk all yes Stone, that's true yeah right yeah um not that this is like a courtroom drama but it it's got well, it has those, a courtroom scene so it yeah. does that's true yeah um but it's uh yeah it's it's kind of a it's it's not a standalone film. I don't think that you could watch without having some of the context, yeah. but you could pick up most of it. I think it's a, it's yeah. kind of a nicely well contained. Like I think I think they do a really good job of establishing Kirk's hatred of the Klingons. Yeah. I think even if you didn't know anything, you could watch in you could watch the film mm-hmm. and get what they're getting at. Especially in '91, I feel like if you walked into a theater not yeah. knowing really much of anything about Star Trek beyond maybe. Shatner's in it or something like that uh you could watch this film and be like oh they're talking about the Russians I get it he hates the Russians we all hate the Russians it's time to move on I wouldn't have picked that up no but well you were six so you a smarter have. person I'd have <laughs> yeah okay no but I, I get it you're right that's that's a good point and it's it's um yeah it's just there's not a lot to to cut it's a it's a tight mm-hmm. you know two hour not even I think it was like an hour and f- 48 or something yeah. like that yeah like so, it's, it's not a long film either yeah. so it, yeah it works quite well that way um yeah the cold war analogy i like that it's not trying to be subtle um yeah. but it does a good job of of humanizing it through kirk um and if you've seen the previous movies then you really get it you know they, they yeah. you saw them kill him his son yeah um but even if you're just told that they killed his son you can kind of yeah. get it you can get why it's personal and you can get why he doesn't trust them and that that the the dinner scene is really really central to yeah. establishing that because you get to see it close hand how nobody trusts them well nobody and the, likes they're each doing other. it because they have to like yes. when when Kirk invites them to come over for dinner he's like reluctantly he wishes they would say no but of course yeah. they're gonna say yes and they probably don't want to do it yeah, either well you can tell they're like nobody off wants too. to be there yeah. but there's a lot of in tension the interest around of diplomacy that's yes. what they're gonna do yes. so the conversation around the dinner table <laughs> was, was not lively that night no something though <laughs> the Romulan ale was lively that night I think the other thing that makes the and and maybe we talked about this at the beginning but it's just striking me again now how appropriate it is that this is a Cold War analogy mm-hmm. and that this is playing out it feels very natural yes that this is the end point for these two yeah. uh, groups of people yeah um, and it's played very well like the the uh, motivations are really believable yeah yeah and and I, I like that it's it, it comes out the whole cast is kind of responsible for that because mm-hmm. everybody kind of has the same idea of the Klingons especially mm-hmm. like everybody after they beam off from the dinner scene they're all like did you see how they ate oh my god yeah. they're disgusting and like and everybody's like they have the same ideas as the assassins you know, right like the assassins when we see them briefly before they go off and murder the chancellor is you know they're talking about oh they can't smell did you smell that and you know yeah, like, they're yeah. just so prejudiced right yeah. they, they hate them so much yeah um and so when kirk hates them it's it not sense. just kirk yeah it's um, everybody it's everybody and then you can see how uh Kirk gradually shifts over the course of the movie. Yeah, and I love that too, that he, it's his personal log being infiltrated that really seals the deal. Not that there was any doubt that he was going to be convicted Convicted, of of this crime in the Klingon, you know, show trial. Yeah. But um, it's it's this interesting moment for Kirk when he he's almost confronted with the the level of his hatred for the Klingons and how this has kind of sealed his fate. And that was just like a throwaway you know, Kirk's drunk. He's going to talk about the Klingons and flop down in bed and then be called up because something bad's happened. Um, and then for it to come back, it kind of kicks off his change from hating the Klingons to recognizing the benefits, I guess, or the, the diplomatic necessity of peace with the Klingons. Yeah. And you get the scene where 
Gorkon is is laying there dying and he tells Kirk like don't let this die yeah. with me kind of yeah. thing and and it's like there's an importance to that that Kirk um maturely I think it's a very grown up response yeah, yeah. for him to to put his own personal feelings aside and that's the journey that he has to go on yeah. um and you can kind of go through it with him as... Yeah, you know, kind of. It, it and it's sense. a nice way for to kind of... If you are one of those fans in 1991 who has said, you know, TNG is not my... Yeah. They're not my crew. They're yeah. not my... Um, this isn't my show. But you're growing with Kirk, who yeah. is now accepting the Klingons. It might lead you into accepting Worf yeah. and accepting the next generation. It, yeah, it's it, it's a step away from the negativity mm-hmm. of the original series towards mm-hmm. the extreme the positivity, positivity of, utopian... of the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, the one thing that always bugged me about this movie was <laughs> his speech at the end. It's way too short to get a slow clap. Like, yeah. They, they just start, like, when they start slow clapping, I'm like, for that? Yeah. You know, like, I see the <laughs> script call for it, guys, but did you really yeah. feel like it was earned? A little too short for my. Yeah, this isn't Mr. Smith goes to Washington. (laughs) No, I could have used a bit of that. But anyways, um, beyond that, yeah. uh, Oh, we already talked about how it ties together Kirk's story. That's perfect. Uh, That was my next note. Um, And yeah, the the field. The the other thing that I really like is is that it does go on this kind of submarine in space Mm -hmm. feel again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the way Meyer approaches that, Um, and it really helps in the last scene when the last battle when you know you can't even see the the bird of prey. It's very similar. In that extent, to uh, yeah. the Wrath of they're Cons. not in a nebula. They're it's a just nebula fancy cloaking <laughs> abilities. Yeah, yeah, and right. the, the way they you know uh, smart outsmart it through a you know a homing torpedo or something like that. Like yep. it's kind of Deus Ex Machina a little bit, but it does make sense. Like sure. why could why why didn't they think of this before? But anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, and and for me, Lindsay, and I'm I'm interested to get your take on this. Um, I know Roddenberry was not a fan of this kind of approach. He wanted, you know, he wanted the motion picture. He wanted the Final Frontier. He wanted those kind of movies where it's it's a strong uh, sci-fi focused idea. There's some mystical thing that you have to go find and, mm-hmm. and explore and understand. Um, and you don't get that any of that here. You get, you know, I know all the players. I'm not exploring anything. I'm just yeah. fighting them and and trying to save the, the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I really like that. I think that I think that's when Star Trek thrives the most. Um, that's why I love like Deep Space Nine when it's a big right. space opera set in you know this gigantic galaxy with all these different you know forces at work, right? Um, and it works really well in those kind of situations. And I think it really works well here too. But I know you're less of a fan. Well, of no, I, I don't think I'm less of a fan. I just think that it's less sci-fi. It's it's I I much prefer a sci-fi story than just another adventure story. Yeah. But I do appreciate the way that. Um, with Star Trek, there is that underlying philosophy that's there mm-hmm. that carries through whether you're exploring, you know, the boundary between the wormhole and the gamma quadrant or, um, you know, some new civilization on the edge of Federation space or whatever, yeah. or whether you're exploring your own inner demons and the feelings that you have towards a a future ally. Yeah. I mean, there's still this idealistic... Again, we were watching Ron J. Coleman, um, his retrospective on Next Generation in preparation for our Next Generation episode. Yep. And um, uh, he mentioned it as being like a a kind of... um, where like the technology and the idealism are they go hand in hand or something i can't remember how he put it but it's like there's always this undercurrent of of idealism that goes along with it and i think that's what that's what makes star trek successful for me not to say that Mm -hmm. star trek can't be depressing and dark (laughs) because deep space nine is one of my favorite series um so i think i'm really gonna like the rest of discovery and where that goes but i think that there's that that undercurrent is what makes Star Trek Star Trek. Whether it is high sci-fi and, and you're dealing with like a, a cause and effect yeah, type yeah, yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. or whether you're dealing with a political thriller like yeah, like um, yeah, Undiscovered Country. So okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I I 
yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this more. I have I'm a sure feeling. we will. Yes, I have a feeling, Lindsay, because yes. it's in my it's in my script. But anyways, <laughs> um, the the only complaint I really have about this movie is that it gives almost nothing to the secondary characters. Yeah. Um, even McCoy really is just a sounding board for Kirk, which is fine. He he's played that role many times before. Yeah. Um, even Spock and uh, what's her name? Valeris. Yeah, Valeris are kind of like secondary ish. Well, like and you hardly ever character. hear anything from. Sulu or yeah. well, Chekhov yeah, I, or Chekhov Uhura. especially. I mean, yeah. Uhura had that. She has one good scene where she has to pretend to be speaking Klingon and right. Yeah, the, okay, those guys. but but, but it's yeah. definitely not. Um, and, and the next sorry, next generation. The original series wasn't very good at no. dealing with the secondary characters at all. They were they were yeah. I'd say they were tertiary characters in yeah. a lot of sense. Well, right? and and um, until you get you know. Um, you know some of the some of the scenes in like the final frontier or the, voyage home they, voyage they, home, they had, something they had cool to do, you know yeah. good things this yeah. kind of reverts back to form for the original series which yeah. is kind of unfortunate and i do like this note that you have here about what what would you have liked to see chekhov and sulu do well i just i think they're like kind of like an original odd couple like they were they were the each the helmsman when yeah. the other one was off making other stuff you know and they they're like they're like the two uh Two odd ones out in the in yeah. the crew to an extent, right? They're both like they're both minorities in a mm-hmm. sense, like obviously not <laughs> exactly the same situation, but in the sixties they would have been considered that way, right? So like uh having them there and I think they just they have good chemistry together. They yeah. when they have like jokes and stuff, they play off each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like they have the little I always think of the original series when they're like they glance at each other when they're at the helm and just right, like right. you know, they they're having little stuff like that. So I, I would have if it was me, I would have had Chekhov be Sulu's uh, Number one. first ensign or yeah. first officer yeah, yeah. Uh, and just had the two of them both be on the Excelsior because then you could have expanded those scenes a little bit too sure. and you know added some drama there of like the two of them talking about like well how are we gonna with Tuvok yeah with Tuvok right. of course because he was there uh, as which, we know as we know from that voice canon yes which was for I the guess... 30th anniversary <laughs> not the 25th as I erroneously wrote yes, in, the, you did. in the thing yes. um, I guess that would have been an interesting thing to see the whole getting the gang back together if you had expanded off beyond their original roles if you had put Sulu and Chekhov on the Excelsior mm-hmm. and if you had put Ahura doing something yeah maybe follow through on their little romance thing they were hinting at yeah. in the home or the final frontier yeah in, in this like maybe they're stationed together and, and yeah and it seems like Spock has got some kind of important role with council and you know I don't, who knows what Kirk's doing maybe make him a teacher an admiral teaching yeah. at the academy or something yeah. like that yeah, I could see how that might work, and and that would have been a better way to introduce it. I, w- I would have liked to have seen yeah. that movie. You know, yeah, just to, I I think the pacing on this one is so great. I don't think adding that sequence no. actually helps, but at the same time, I would have loved to see it just to see the characters where they where that's they imagine the, them. That's to be, right? the fanfic that yeah. could be written, you know, hey. for our next episode. Yeah, maybe. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Bix log, start date one one two six eight point nine. Having come to the conclusion of the original series movies with Lieutenant Lindsay, a recurring theme has arisen in our discussions, whether or not certain Star Trek movies are really sci-fi movies or not. The Lieutenant has consistently claimed that many films in the series, including this final one we are discussing today, cannot properly be classified as science fiction films because they resemble non-science fiction films in many critical ways. So today I have decided that we shall finally have it out and decide once and for all are all Star Trek movies inherently science fiction? And specifically, is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, a sci-fi classic or just a classic? Well, it's a bit of a leading question, is it not? When you're just like, is it a classic or a sci-fi classic? Not that I'm disagreeing with you. Yeah, it is. Classic, we we, we yeah, agree on that. Yes. We have a shared understanding there. So, Lindsay, you go first. I want to I hear how you're wrong. Well. Because <laughs> we know what you're going to say. Yeah, I think you do. Because I've said it multiple times over the course of the last six episodes. Um, that Star Trek, the, the original series films, are good adventure films that have occasionally sci-fi elements to them. I don't think that they are great sci-fi um films but i don't think that the original series would be classified in a modern context as being a great sci-fi series either it's classic in the sense that it started things but it doesn't fit with the science fiction that the next generation gave us that was continued with deep space nine and voyager with some of the the the, as i've said the philosophical questions that go along with 
what I think sci-fi is. So the original series was always, yes, well, (laughs) you're asking for my opinion. (laughs) The original series was, was wagon train to the stars. It was a Western in space. So it doesn't need to be a great sci-fi. It's not Doctor Who. And that's a great parallel. Doctor Who's not sci-fi. It's a fantasy series. Are you kidding me? Lindsay, there's no science fiction in, in Doctor Who. It has fantasy elements, but it's absolutely <laughs> science fiction. Okay, we have. It's okay. one of the greatest perhaps, science fiction. Perhaps. Wow, is this going to be our next this big slog next we time? We have a different opinion <laughs> on what science fiction is. I, I think guess that we might do. Be the, the underlying question. But my point is, yeah. Doctor Who and and Star Trek are a good parallel because they're airing it around the same time. Mm-hmm. You could introduce the Twilight Zone into that as well. Both of those shows, Doctor Who and the Twilight Zone, have far greater things to add to science fiction as a genre than Star Trek does. Star Trek, um, in the original series, didn't elevate the genre the way that future series and future films did. That's not to say it's not good. I just don't think that it fits science fiction. And my definition of science fiction, as I've said all along, is where you have a story that's set in in some kind of... The premise defines the story, not the story wrapping around the premise. Is that a fair way of characterizing it in your mind? Well, and I, I think the, there has to be that that essential element of commenting on society or commenting on you know, modern day problems and and allegorizing them mm-hmm. in some way. Okay. I think that's what makes science fiction great. That's what makes a Ray Bradbury story amazing. Uh, you know, yeah. all summer in a day, right? You read that story? No. The one about the little girl, the, the kids who are on the planet. I, I think it's Mars. Maybe. I don't know. It's a planet where it's raining all the time. Yes, you told me about this. And then they get like one hour of sunshine yeah. and they lock the girl in the closet. because And it's terrifying. It's it's horrifying. Yeah. And it's like bullying. And it's, it's all kinds of things about modern society extrapolated to a future place. See, and I, I think I, that's what that's I, what sci-fi is. And I found, me. therefore, your weakness. Because what did you miss about this whole movie? The fact that it was talking about the Cold War, it was talking about the current day, <laughs> about letting go of your hatred and enmity, and we yeah, had the same. Fair. We had the same thing with Wrath of Khan. You were like, "Oh yeah, there are there are other elements that are like about right, getting old true. and stuff like that." So I I feel like okay, I I grant you, and I, I mean again, we are not science fiction, like we're not genre experts. We don't you know we aren't academics looking into the history of science fiction yeah. and how it's morphed and changed. But you know, it does make sense that. Or to me, it makes sense that you can have multiple veins of sci-fi. So when I'm saying, and just to correct my own stupidity, when I'm saying Doctor Who isn't sci-fi in yeah. the sense of like, it's not it's not hard sci-fi. It's not pinned down by, you know, logistical rules or, or hard uh, cultural norms. I mean, you have Godzilla rampaging through London in one of the recent seasons. I don't, I think it was Peter Capaldi uh, seasons. It wasn't Godzilla, it was a T-Rex. A T-Rex, okay, sorry. Um, so yeah, like you, you know, it plays fast and loose with these things. It's, it's, and it doesn't really explore any societal implications. It's, it's very character implications uh, for them. What about that Rosa Parks episode of the first season with? Uh... Okay, yeah, you find the one. And... Well, I mean, I mean, there's the one, the Shakespeare one. and there's... That has nothing to do with anything modern. There's... It was just let's go visit Shakespeare. Let's go take Van Gogh and show him how cool he is that's, in the future. That's, how is that, that is, science no, fiction? That is, that is not, where is the, where is the, <laughs> where's the parallel or the, the commentary on modern society in that story, Lindsay? They literally talk about how, okay, we're not talking about Doctor <laughs> Who. This is not the point of this whole discussion. But we, I think it is because we have a different understanding. We do of have a very the, different understanding of what science yeah. fiction is. And I, and I think, Working with yours, I think this one still works. I think it's still a good science fiction series. I feel like Star Trek is at its best when it, when it, when it, as I described it, kind of wraps the premise around the characters. It says, okay, here's Tapestry, uh, you know, the inner light, all these ones where it's, it's, it's a character first. In this case, in this movie, it's Kirk first. Um, and then let's hit him with a science fiction thing that draws parallels to, in this case, the modern day with the Cold War. Okay. How does an old warrior, someone who grew up in the 60s, wanted to fight Soviets and and nuke them to death, you know, you, uh, a Lyndon B. Johnson or something. I don't even know if Johnson was actually that, <laughs> that anti-communist, but, uh, you know, like, 
you know, someone nuke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So someone who, who wants to take down the, the damn commies, how do you let go of that? And that you have a character in Kirk who's who's a great vessel for that. So I feel like it's it is focused on his character first and foremost, and then it does wrap the sci-fi package around it, and it still Fine, reveals but, something. But interesting the about sci-fi it. package, as you're saying, yeah. is just the fact that it's set in the future with alien races. Yeah. I don't think that's enough to make it science fiction. <sighs> I just I don't I think there needs to be more to it and and you're right okay fine the the allegorization of the Cold War sure <laughs> clearly wasn't obvious enough for me to get it <laughs> but um, that that might get you part way there but I'm saying that that the original series Star Trek wasn't always a science fiction yeah. first entity yeah yeah. Yeah, but it was I mean, necessary for the later episodes and later series that were primarily science fiction first entities. Yeah, I, I just I can't I can't jive with your definition. I think there I, I think the the differentiation between something like this and DS9 is almost nothing. Like in the Pale Moonlight and this movie are oh know, yeah no about, you know absolutely yeah it's political thriller. It's but it's, it's also sci-fi. espionage and and subterfuge. But it's not. But it's it not. Needs, it's not. Fake your hologram, and you need to do your torpedo the no, right but that's way. Not, that's not the only thing that makes it science fiction. You can't uh, just have a communicator that looks like a cell phone and say, "Oh, it's science fiction now." That that's not enough. I don't uh, think that's enough. There has to be something else that, like, underpins it. Okay. And I don't think Star Trek: The Original Series has that consistently enough to and, say and not, that's and not in this one. So you you'd find the motion picture or the final I frontier to be more science fiction like you would yes, count them as i as would more. count the final frontier as more science fiction than okay. the we are not going to agree on this country but that doesn't mean it's i think it's a better film yeah i yeah. think it's a Everybody great adventure film it's a great uh <laughs> not a good science fiction film. film i don't i i, I don't even think it threshold. is a science fiction yeah exactly film. okay okay it doesn't cross that threshold no okay no you were just so wrong. Uh, listeners, please <laughs> let us know. Uh, we're off Twitter now, so I guess just email us and say, Lindsay's right or Aiden's wrong or whatever it is. That's the same thing. Yeah, well, either one of those. Uh, and uh, just let us know your thoughts because uh, I really don't, I don't know. I uh, I can't agree with you on this one. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I, I don't think we're ever going to agree on this one. But we will agree on... Um, our the next series that we're going to be yeah. talking about. I think the next generation is one uh, <laughs> yeah, we we, agree we, on that. we very much agree <laughs> on that, and I think our feelings are on DS Nine are the same. Once we get to Voyager, I think we're going to diverge a little bit because I'm really enjoying Voyager a lot more than you are. So, um, oh man, be prepared for <laughs> we've got we're going to have 14 episodes, I guess, of more than that. Uh, we, no, have the, we also oh, have the yeah. fan fiction. We have our fan fiction episode that's coming up. Coming that's up soon. like. Absolutely next, yeah. which is our uh, original series fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will link in preparation for that. Um, we've written some stories, some fan fiction Some stories. fan fiction, yeah. Uh, we will be posting them to the Hugo Award winning website. Yes. The Archive of Our Own. That's right. Um, and we'll link our, our newly created profile. Yeah. Neither one of us wants to post it under our... Existing existing AO3 profiles. profiles. Um, But yeah, so you'll be able to read those and uh, hopefully enjoy what what we've put out, you know. Yeah, and you can tell us if, uh, I mean, maybe you'll read it and be like, I am never listening to this podcast again because I thought they were writers and here they are (laughs) putting this drill out. I mean, it is going to be, we'll talk about it next episode, but I've already started mine. Lindsay, you've already worked on it. You know, it is we're not writing a whole episode. No, we're not investing like to do the equivalent of an episode that you see on screen in fiction form is like 50, 60, 80,000 words. I've written two long form. Yes. Fanfics for the next generation that are both hovering around a hundred thousand words. Yeah. And I would say they're probably like a two episode. Yeah. It would be like, like a, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like a part one, part two. Yeah. But it took me the better part of a year yeah. to write the so, second one. And the first one was spanned like 10 years because yeah. it, you know, on and off and we're both, we're working stiffs. So we yeah. don't have time. So they're going to be like one shots, yeah. which very, in the world of brief. fanfic is like, you know, like a, a scene, a scene or, yeah. or a, 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 a short story, five, 10,000 words short story at the most, yeah. at the most. So, so yeah don't expect 
Dostoevsky. Yeah, and don't expect, you know, a full range of, of everything. I think we're capable of as storytellers. I think no, it's no, more no, 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 no. I think peak. it's gonna be I think it's gonna be great. We're gonna we're gonna it's it's Lindsay, downplay it. We we suck, don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that, that'll be our next episode. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a fun one to talk about, Lindsay. We've, we've never really talked about our approach to writing. No, uh, or our approach good. to, well, like briefly here and there when we did our Shakespeare episodes, we talked about how we would fix Shakespeare. And yeah. We, had, we did in the last episode talk about how we would fix. Tried, As writers, yeah. we tried. But yeah. this is literally putting, putting our talent where yeah. our mouths are. Fingers to keyboard. Yeah. And yeah, so we'll, we'll see what uh, you think, listeners. So thanks to uh, join us for that. And Lindsay... Live long, safe, and prosper. Yay, oh, you got halfway there. Yay. You don't hit the microphone I when you're going to. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix. We love to talk Star Trek with our fellow nerds and would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or ideas about any of our discussions or the topics we've brought up. You can reach out to us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Beam us up, Scotty.